0: Our reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll pick up the reading in verse 25. This is God's Word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this your word. For we ask ourselves, where would we be without it? And the answer comes back, we would be lost. We would be lost in the silence. We would be lost in the darkness. But with your word comes light and life. We would ask that the Holy Spirit, who you promised to send when your word is opened, that as it goes forward, your word does not return void, but indeed is sent that which you send it for. Would you grant that spirit to do that work even now in the lives and the hearts of each and every one of us, that we might receive this word by the light of the power of the spirit and be encouraged, strengthened, changed, maybe forevermore by your grace, transformed. Would you hear this prayer and answer it? We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Well, in the first service this morning, as you noted in the bulletin, we had a baptism, a wonderful baptism of a mother and a son in this congregation, a dear family who not too long ago made their way to the Middle Tennessee area, and as the Lord would have it, recently brought a new sister and new brother in the Lord to us here at Cornerstone. We got to celebrate their professions of faith, coming to know the Lord this morning, which is, well, such a rich reminder that um, the Spirit is at work in our midst. Um, We see the fruit of the Spirit. We see the evidence of the Spirit's work in the lives of of His people, in the, the church of Jesus Christ. And Uh, To celebrate that so clearly this morning was um, great encouragement to my my own soul. We're not alone in this, are we? We have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper whom Christ said He would send to us when He was ascended to the heavenly places. It is better, He says, that I go away from you so that I might send to you the Helper who will teach to you all things. What an incredible encouragement that is. Well, we're going to talk about the Spirit this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at that one verse. As many of you know, we're slow walking our way through Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, taking really the summer to look at this section in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's rich. It's rich to speak to us about the Christian life. What does it mean to live the Christian life? And somewhat unusually, Paul, in verse 30, begins to now insert a a challenge and an an injunction. It's a command to us in in verse 30. But he inserts this instruction and brings into our awareness the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and says to us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And we don't really see that coming in the text. We We didn't see, you know, right after hey, speak words that are building up and not corrupting. And after, hey, don't steal, but instead work honestly and give to those who are in need. And uh, right after that instruction, we hear, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You just would not have listed that, I don't think. It wouldn't have popped up into your mind. Oh, I know where he's going here. He's going to talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. That's where he always goes at this point. No, this would not have been the instruction you would have anticipated. Why does Paul... Do it. Why does he give us this instruction? How does it relate to all that's going on around us? Well, that's part of what we're going to really look at today as we consider this uh, short but field-packed verse of truth from, from Paul's letter of the Ephesians. And in order to look at that instruction, we really we really need to know better that third person of the Trinity. This gives us a moment um, in the midst of this study on the Christian life to to pull back and to say, oh, he's speaking to us about the Holy Spirit. What do I think about the Holy Spirit? What do I I know about the Holy Spirit? This text gives us the opportunity to be reminded most fundamentally that the Holy Spirit is... A person. The Holy Spirit is a is a person. Many Christians, if we are honest, don't consider the Holy Spirit as a as a person. We we, we know it maybe theologically. Maybe you maybe you memorized the shorter catechism. Uh, maybe someone taught you long ago that there are three persons in in the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is called the Trinity. And then the person said to you, don't ask me anything else because I can't explain it, right? They did something probably like that. So you've heard the language of there's a person of the Holy Spirit, but then actually the way that you may functionally live or conceive of the Spirit is more along the lines of, you know, an energy or a, or a force, you know, wasn't, May 4th wasn't too long ago, right? May may the force be with you, right? That's sort of how we often think about the Holy Spirit—it's something we tap into, right? It's something we channel. It's a—it's a resource that helps us gain strength and wisdom and and insight. We really treat the the spirit like that. You, you know, I've I've heard I've heard folks, you know, in a setting, they'll say something like, you know, I know the spirit was there. The the hair it stood up on the back of my neck. I know the spirit was. Was there? Right? I hate to tell you that sometimes your hair will stand up on the back of your neck. It has nothing to do with the Spirit. Uh, it's, sometimes it's because you met a person in a dark alley and you're a little scared, and, and that happened, and it, it didn't have to do with the Spirit. It might have to do with the Spirit. That's not a foolproof method for knowing the presence of the Spirit or relating to the Spirit about what the hair on the back of your neck is doing. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the person of the, the Spirit? Well, I want you to, to just course with me for a second around some of the qualities, personal qualities that the Bible gives us around the Spirit. This is a mere sampling. This is in no way exhaustive, but it at least helps you round out some notions or ideas around the person of the the Spirit. I want to just list a few of these. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that the Spirit has a mind. The Spirit thinks. Um, The Spirit, according to Jesus in John 16, is a teacher. He communicates. Uh, He's described a few chapters earlier in John 14 as someone with a role. He's a helper and can provide comfort. Uh, John 14 tells us that we can actually know Him. We can can know the Spirit. Uh, John 8 tells us that He prays. The Spirit prays for us. And John 16 says that he can bring conviction of sin. Have you ever been convicted of sin? Work of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says he gives gifts. He gives gifts to the church. He bestows gifts in the body. You, you see gifts. We see gifts on display in a variety of ways every time that we gather here in the body. During the week, we have gifts that are at work in, in the body. Those gifts, they come from the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit is one who gives testimony. He's able to actually stand in, so to speak, for the absence of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's sending to us, the church, my spirit, he says. I send I send my spirit to you. And the spirit stands in, so to speak, for the, the presence of, of Christ. And, and Jesus has the gumption to actually say, it's better that he's here than I'm here. The greater things are going to happen because He's here and at work than, than the me being here. I need to be at the right hand of the Father enthroned in heaven, but the Spirit is going to dwell with you even to the end of the age. The Spirit, you see some of the things then, don't you? You, get, you, ca- you caught a smattering. There's a lot more to be said. But, but at least you've gotten something to put your, 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 hang your hat on, so to speak. Put your hands around a bit. Oh, here's the spirit. This is what it means to be relating to the person of the, the spirit. He has these qualities about him. Well, why is it important that we believe that he's a person? Why, why is that important? Well, first of all, we need to just say it's important because it's true. It's true, and the Bible says it, and we want to believe and embrace what the Bible says. So, so there's number one, it's true, and we need, to, we need to believe it. That's why it's important, but there's, there's more to it than that. And part of why the Bible drives us to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is a person is that we would know this, because He's a person, we can be in fellowship and relationship with Him. We can be in relationship with Him. We can be in fellowship uh, with Him. If He's an impersonal force or, a, or an energy, an it, rather than a, than a He, then, then, then He's more of a resource than He is a person. And it's more about what we can get from Him rather than to be in relationship with Him, which is really different. The fact of the matter is the Spirit is a person, like every one of the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the the Spirit, in order that we might know them, in order that we might speak with them, in order that we might have fellowship with them, but particularly in this text, the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important? Well, I'm trying to, in some ways, build an appreciation here for the terminology of relationships so that you can but want to and see the importance of drawing close to the Holy Spirit as we see that this is a trouble with us in this particular verse, as he's challenging us, that the whole of the Bible is actually built around relationship. I mean, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2, what do we find about the creation of man and woman is that we are made in the image of God, and we are made to be in fellowship with God. When we see God in Genesis chapter 2, he's walking in what is what is described for us as a kind of pre-incarnate display of God's glory in Genesis 2 when we're told that God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, now there's a lot of theology right there and a lot to explore in that little statement in Genesis 2. But the one thing that it tells us is that God is with Adam and Eve and his desires to be in relationship with them and that he has crafted them and made them as such so that he can be, in a very special way, in relationship. Genesis 3, when we think about the fall, what really is the effect of the fall fundamentally in our relationship with God? Well, it's a loss of relationship. We are, we are exiled out of the Garden of Eden. We can no longer enjoy unhindered fellowship with the Lord. We are, we are in a broken relationship. In fact, the Bible is groaning and waiting and anticipating for the day in which Christ would come. And what is his ministry? It is a ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry to restore relationship, that the persons of the Trinity, that God would be in relationship once again with his creation, with his people. That's the story of of the Bible. And so the wonder of this particular text that's before us is it actually is a part of the grand narrative of the scripture, a, a narrative that's been longing for man to be once again in relationship with God. And what we see is that there's challenge with that. You see, when you hear uh, this instruction in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, you're catching the challenge of us being in relationship with God. The desire is that we would be, and God has made the way for that through Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but it's tricky for you and I to be in relationship with God because of our sin. Because of all the things that Paul's been instructing us right here in this this text, right? Beginning in verse 25, what has he been saying to us? Well, here's how you grieve the Spirit. You walk in falsehood rather than in the truth. You can't expect to have an intimate, vibrant, lively relationship with the Holy Spirit if you're walking in falsehood. Because He's a Spirit of truth. He, He comes... To testify to you of the truth, Jesus says. Um, You you can't expect to have a vibrant, close, nurturing relationship with the Spirit and be a thief. You you must be an honest worker who who labors uh, charitably in the care and the needs of of others, because what does the Spirit do? Well, he he labors hard in the care and the charity and the service of of others. He's the Spirit of Christ, after all. And if you want to dwell closely and intimately with the Spirit, if you want the smile, so to speak, uh, to be upon the the Spirit, then then you must also labor honestly and, and give uh, charitably. You can't be a thief. Uh, if you if you want your words to be words that the Spirit Himself communes with and the joy of the Spirit becomes yours in. You can't speak corrupting words. You can't speak decaying, spreading words. You have to speak building up words uh, that are meant to strengthen each other, for the Spirit is a spirit of edification. He speaks the truth and strength. He does that to the body. All throughout this, He's been telling us, these are the things that you are to do. Now, I don't know if, if you've been like this as we've been working our way through Ephesians 4, but have you been looking at each of those commands as just things that you ought to do? Okay, yeah, I need to quit lying. And I should start telling the truth because lying is wrong and truth-telling is right. I need to, I need to quit stealing. Even those pins at work. You know, you know what pins I'm talking about. Even, even those post-it notes. Even those post notes, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to quit sealing those post notes at work. I need to, to work faithfully, and I need to be charitable in giving with with what it is. I, those words I spoke to my spouse this morning over breakfast. I know. I know you're talking about them right now. You're thinking about them. Those decay spreading, corrupting words. I need to make amends this afternoon. Right when I when I go home, so that we can have building up words. I know I need to do that. All right, break. Let's go do that. Have you been thinking about them sort of like, have you been thinking about the commands in that way? Notice what he does here in verse 30. He says, this is all about your relationship with God. This is all relational. These are not just things to do because they're right and wrong. These are pathways by which you either commune with God or you create a barrier in communion with God. You either damage your relationship with the Lord, you grieve the Holy Spirit... Or you act in obedience and you nurture a relationship with the Spirit. You walk in the pathways of repentance. You see, these things aren't just atomized, dissected commands. They're a whole related to the pathway of relationship. You see, everything about the Christian faith centers around relationship. Like when you came to worship this morning. Like you came to worship this morning and, and, well, why are you here? Some of you are asking that question. Why are Why are you here today? Well, it's Sunday, and, and we need to go to go to worship. worship. It's what we do. It's what we do on Sunday. God commands it. I'm here because God commands it. You know those are all good answers? But it's not just something that you do. What's happening here is that God is meeting with you. And you are meeting with Him. Relationship is happening here. What, what about when you read your, your Bible and, and you pray... You think, oh, I hadn't done that in a while. I need to cultivate those spiritual disciplines. Oh, yes. Oh, I need to read my Bible. Some of you think that, right? Well, what if, would it, what if you thought of it as hearing from God and speaking to God? What if it was about a relationship with Him? Now look at your sin that way. Look at your actions that way. Think about those words that you did speak. Think about those Think about those those temptations that you faced this week—the ones you've given into, and maybe the ones you've resisted. Did you think of them as grieving the spirit or giving the spirit joy? Did you think about your communion with the Lord in them? Probably not. How would that change things? How would that how would that change change things? If, if you begun to think of obedience and disobedience in the context of, of relationship, well, that's what the Apostle Paul really wants us to do here. He's, he's invoking the Spirit and he's letting us know that these actions actually positively have an effect on your intimacy with the Spirit, your walking with the Spirit, your growth in grace, and, and then negatively, if you fall into sin, they damage your relationship, they grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is, well, holy. Did you catch that? Been easy to run past it. So if you're operating in unholiness, in sin, it's no surprise that your communion with the Holy Spirit would be hindered, right? It would be hindered. It's broken. That fellowship is is strained. Just it's the same thing. This is again, not rocket science. You, you know that if you speak negative and corrupting words and act in wrong and sinful ways towards your spouse, towards your coworker, towards your children, towards your 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 community or your your neighbors, what happens to those relationships? They suffer. They get full of grief likewise if you if you sacrifice if you care if you're if you're prayerful if you serve if you're attentive if you love what happens to those relationships they're strengthened they're they're, they're intimate they're full of, full of joy that's what that's what Paul is welcoming you into he wants you to know that your words aren't just about doing right and wrong they're about nurturing closeness to the Lord or putting a barrier or obstacle to doing so But I want you to see as you look at that and even as you weigh the weightiness of that, it's striking, isn't it, that the that you, through what you do or don't do, can, can cause sadness and produce sorrow in the heart and the life of the Spirit in relationship to you. Should be a sober note for each and every one of us. Think of, think of that moment where You did something wrong to uh, someone, and you didn't feel particularly bad about it. You you noticed that you had done it, and you said, oh, I shouldn't have done it. But you went went along your way, right? This is a lot of our lives, sadly. And then that person, you know, comes back to you, and they say to you, listen, I've been trying to forget what you said to me. It just really hurt. And, and I, I couldn't sleep last night Think, thinking about what you, you said, and, and their tears are welling up in their eyes as they said, I just knew I needed to come to you, and I needed to, to be honest. I needed to confront this. I needed to speak to it because I have been filled with grief over what your words did to my heart. Now, in that moment, if you have a heart at all, what begins to happen? Sorrow, grief. You begin to, to experience not just the fact that you did something, but the effect of what you did on the soul of an individual and that relationship. You realize the damage that you, that you caused, that a barrier was placed before you and this person, and you grieved them with what it is that you said. That's what Paul is telling us here. The spirit is, is grieved When we fall into sin, that's meant, as John Owen would put it, that's meant to slow us down. It's meant for us to take inventory of the recognition of what he would refer to as the sinfulness of sin. Letting a sense for the depth of what our sin actually does damage-wise in the relationships and lives of others, specifically here with regards to the intimacy of the Holy Spirit Himself. As heavy as that is, there's another piece that I want to draw to your attention to, and and I hope this is encouraging to you. The encouragement is this. Notice in that word grief, there's something really important here. In that word grief, there's actually a lot of encouragement. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because in the word grief, it tells you what kind of relationship you have with the Spirit. What kind of relationship you have with the Spirit. Well, Nate, what kind of relationship is that? Well, it's a loving and caring relationship. why Why do I say that? Well, I say that because Consider with me for a moment, what does the word and the emotion even of grief communicate? When someone dies that you have known for many years, you've had you know, lengthy conversations with. You've worked side by side, shoulder to shoulder. You have you have the moments where you've laughed, you know, there's belly laughs with each other. You Then you've wept with each other at low points. And then that person dies and you experience the pain of the loss of that individual. And you grieve the fact that they are no longer with you. Think with me, why do you grieve? Well, you grieve because you love them. You you love them so much. You you miss them. You you care about them. You you want them with you. The the language of grief in this text, notice, it's not the language of anger. He he doesn't doesn't say here, don't anger the Holy Spirit. He He doesn't say that. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, parents, you know this very well, don't you? When you've seen that that child whom you love with like more than than life itself, and you see them make decisions that you know are destructive. They're, they're sinful, they are burdensome, it's sending them on a path of waywardness and, and rebellion down a down a destructive way, and you are home quietly in your home, grieving over the decisions that they made. Why do you grieve? Because you love them. Because you, you love them. The nature of love is that, is that you grieve when the one that you love knows you see them have made decisions. You see them have been lost in a way that breaks your heart. You see, the Holy Spirit grieves over you and me because he loves us. He loves us. He cares for us. He's Think of all that He's poured into us. Think of how He comes to us. He's been sent from the throne room of heaven after the fullness of Christ's ascension and all of His glory has taken place. The Spirit comes now to dwell within us. And what does the Spirit do? He dwells within us, appropriating and applying all the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. What that means is, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you trusted uh, Him alone for salvation, that that penalty that was paid on your behalf only happened by faith, which the Holy Spirit, through God's grace, gave to you. And the righteousness that you received, won for you by Christ Jesus, yes, was only received and appropriated by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and right now, you are a child of the living God. You are a son or a daughter of the Father who is in heaven. All of His inheritance is at your disposal, and that has been received by you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. You're described as a temple of the Holy Spirit. You, the church of the living God. He's given to you gifts. He walks with you day by day. Though you leave Him constantly, He's never leaving you. He loves you immensely. You think, oh parent, that you have spent time training your child. You think you have spent resources and energy training your children. The Spirit has far outspent you in every category of love and gracious sacrifice. And then you sin. And you grieve Him. And you grieve him. You break his heart. The sorrow and the sadness of the Spirit is real over your sin and over mine. That's what Paul wants you to feel. You see how different that is? That's different when you know that your sin is in relationship with God rather than it's just this thing out here that's just this law you broke. It's just this little abstract thing that you did. Oh, it'll be better. No, it damaged the relationship. It grieved the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that that's his, his desire for you, is in some ways today, as hard as this is. He wants us to take inventory of our sin and be grieved. It, you know, Paul sh- showed us this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in the, in the, in the most wonderful and, and, and gracious but, but truth telling way. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as he was writing to the church at Corinth I wrote to you a letter and I hear the report that you were grieved by it. I said some really hard things to you. I exposed some things. I revealed some things. I had to speak some things to you that I knew was going to hurt, but they needed to be said. And and I'm sorry that I hear that you were grieved by my letter, but I don't regret that I wrote the letter. And I don't regret that I said the things that I said because I've learned, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, I've learned... That it grieved you into repentance. It grieved you into repentance. That once you experienced the grief of the reality of what your sin had caused, there was a godliness about it that led you to a change of life and heart in following the Lord rather than to remain mired in the reality of that sin that would lead to death. He says, I rejoice in that. I rejoice that my my aim of my letter, not to cause you pain, but that in the pain, to cause you joy, to ultimately lead to your change, to your transformation. You see, that's really what the Holy Spirit is doing day in and day out in our lives, is imparting to us a godly grief, a godly sorrow that would lead to a change of heart and a change of life that would produce, as it were, more growth in Him. Now, we know that's His point because notice how the whole verse ends. He tells us that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I had this thought this week because it, well, it would—it's an understandable thought. When you begin to hear that your sin grieves the Holy Spirit, does a part of you begin to say, "I hope I hadn't grieved Him too much. I hope I haven't grieved Him to the degree that He's gone away, um, or that will go away." And and what you know is—is is Monday going to be the camel's hair that breaks the back of my spiritual life in relationship with the Spirit? I got to be close. Like whatever the quota of grief is that I might hit, I've got to be fairly close to it. Could it be that the Spirit could be grieved away from me at some point in the future based upon my sin? That Notice how Paul is anticipating us here. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice he doesn't say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit lest in he, you grieve him away from you, and thus ultimately fall from grace and have no hope in the world ever again. That's not what he says. He says you were sealed for the day of redemption by him. Notice the language. Notice the tense. It's done. It's done. He's already completed. You are sealed for the day of redemption. You do not, in other words. Follow the commands in order to keep God from running away from you and giving up on you. You don't follow the commands out of fear that the next command you break will be one too many. You follow the commands out of gratitude, knowing what it is that the Holy Spirit has already done for you. You are sealed for the day of redemption. Therefore, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at what He's done for you. Look at how much He loves you. He longs to be intimate with you. He longs to see Christ formed in you. He longs for the day when you will see Christ face to face and you will be like Him, for you will see Him as He is. Everything that He's about is moving you to that day. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what He's saying to you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, parents, you know something of this, don't you? <laughs> in those moments where those hard things that you say don't have ears to hear them and, and hit the heart or the soul as if it is really trying to, to kill what would be an otherwise fun life. When in reality, they're instructions in order to secure your eternal joy. And what we know in those moments, don't we, when we give those instructions and when those instructions have been given to us and we don't receive them the way in which they're given, we realize how helpless we are, aren't we? Some of you right now have that person in your mind who you have longed to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've poured hours in prayer and hours in conversation. You've you've poured... Thousands and thousands of dollars in resources that they might be rescued, that they might come to know the Lord, that the Lord might restore them or save them for the very first time. You you know who I'm talking about, and you feel it doesn't matter what it is that you do, it doesn't, you can't, you can't make it happen, can you? You're not in control of it. You know what you need? Oh, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Cast your cares on the Lord knowing He cares for you and rest in the work of the Spirit. Plead for the Lord in the Spirit. That's what we need, isn't it? When we begin to see that we and His kindness has sealed us for the day of redemption and that we as a people have every reason to be thankful for what the Lord has done in our lives, we then don't follow the commands because they're commands. We follow the commands because we want to walk closely with someone who will love us like that. Anyone who has loved us like this is someone we want to be as close to as we possibly can be. I remember there was a man in my church growing up who, well, I just wanted to be like. He was tall. He was strong. He was smart. He had a Harley Davidson. I thought I just this guy is cool, right? He's cool at every level, and and what did I what did I try to do? I I did everything I could to get his attention, to to be be with him, to spend time with him, you know, loitering in awkward ways around him in order we might be able to be engaged. Yes, that was me. Yes, when you when you know someone who's Worthy to be followed, whose character you want to be like. Do everything that you can to be with them, to be intimate with them. The Holy Spirit, when he says to us in this word, speak the truth, not falsehood. He's telling you how to be close to him. Don't steal, but do honest labor and serve and give generously to others. Don't speak corrupting words, but building building upwards for the encouragement of of the saints. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Walk in these ways, not because you'd just be breaking a command, but because you'll lose the sweetest fellowship that there is. The felt sense and experience of it in that moment. And then when you felt like you've lost it, know this. You haven't. He still loves you. He's already sealed you for the day of redemption. That which He's begun, He will bring to completion. Therefore, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be close to the Holy Spirit? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, for He has sealed you. For the day when you look at Jesus face to face and you are like Him, when you stand there on that day, it will be because of the Holy Spirit and His work in you. More of Him, we pray, in more of us. Father in heaven, would you please come and help us to be a people who do not grieve the Holy Spirit but who are committed and, and drawn day in and day out by the love that He spreads abroad in our hearts through Christ, that we would want more and more to become like Christ, and we can only do that by the power of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, we know that some level of flesh is always going to be with us until Christ returns, until we are with you in glory. So some measure of grief is probably inescapable. But Lord, do not let us in any way relax because of that. Instead, Lord, uh, let us say to ourselves, what is the least amount of grief that we might give to the Holy Spirit and the closest amount of intimacy that we might enjoy with Him? And let that be the passion of our heart with our eyes set towards the secured day of redemption that we are sealed for. Lord, you know to the varying ways that this word needs to be applied in this room right now. Lord, would you be mindful of it? And would you bless us, your people, with a rich display of your grace as we walk by faith and not by sight? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.